Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I've got a very special guest with us. It's a little bit different today. We're going to talk about the application of some of these concepts of sectarianism, sectarianization, communal difference, and the political, but in a context slightly beyond the Middle East. I'm absolutely delighted that we have AJ Gudavatri here today. AJ is uh, a political theorist, an analyst, and a columnist in India. He's Associate Professor of Political Science at the Centre for Political Studies at JNU in New Delhi. He's written extensively on questions of, um, of secularism, of sectarianism, communalism in India, and I thought it would be wonderful to talk with him today about some of the things that he's been working on and how it applies to the broader study of communal difference and sectarianism more broadly. His wonderful edited collection titled Secular Sectarianism, The Limits of Subaltern Politics is really worth a read and uh, incredibly provocative and, and enlightening. So, AJ, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me over on a uh, special show. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure. It's it's um, it's great to be chatting with you. I've been reading your work for for a long time now, and I'm really delighted that we're able to to have a chat in a bit more detail about it. Uh, before we get to the substantive discussions, I normally ask uh, the opening question about about what it is that that really got you interested in in politics and in your case political theory so what was it that that really drew you to this area please well simon i've uh, it's been a very early influence because i come from a family where my father is a known civil rights activist so since a uh, uh, no very young age i've had uh, interactions with civil rights the left feminist ecological dalit bahujan activists so i guess it was a very natural uh, transition nothing nothing unexpected nothing very dramatic uh, this was the thing that uh, always interested me in terms of you know looking at if you look at some of my early work my first work was on uh, social movement in india political mobilization of uh, dalit feminists naxalites uh, environmental and civil rights movement that was my first book based on my very close interaction with uh, activists uh, in india Right, so it's a very personal journey then, I guess, into the academy. But why, why the academy, and why not following your your father's footsteps into, into civil rights? Well, that's an interesting question. You know that uh, uh, Simon. That uh, as I grew up, you know, while I admired many of these activists, uh, you know, because having watched them very closely in very personal spaces. Uh, having interacted with them for a very very long duration, uh, I also saw uh, you know, a, a tendency in them in terms of some kind of a tyranny of political correctness, mm-hmm. a very binary kind of moral thinking of right and wrong, uh, and I could see the uh, the limitations because my advantage was uh, generally you know people focus on one single movement you know for their uh, PhD work you know they would either take gender question or the caste question. but i very consciously took uh, these multiple movements together and uh, my focus was really on the mutual critique these uh, movements offered on each other so i could really see the uh, the underside of uh, these activists these movements uh, and and that i couldn't have done being an activist so you know i mean i, I in fact find a very strange i i do have one 
Uh, I'm not an activist in any sense, but uh, as I said, I'm closely linked to them. But mm-hmm. it's only academia that could have, you know, given me that space to uh, really, uh, you know, rework some of these categories, to critically engage with them, uh, things of that kind. Well, for people who don't know your work, AJ, I think I think it's worth stressing that you are incredibly um, persuasive in your writing, and you you've got this wonderful way of engaging in questions of power and, and abuse of power. And there's, there's maybe an argument to say that your your writing itself is a form of activism in holding those in positions of power and those who are guilty of abusing power to account. So so maybe that's not it's not as far away from the shift as, as, as you might have initially thought or people might be thinking when listening to your answers because your writing itself serves in many cases as a form of, of activism by holding those in power to account. Um, can I get you to just reflect on that briefly, just the extent to which you you view the academy as a source of, of resistance, as a, as a source or a potential source of activism, do you think? Well, that's, uh, that's again a wonderful question. You know, I've had interactions with very senior uh, professors all across the uh, globe, and many of them uh, very seriously think, including some of my senior colleagues here in India that, you know, academia and activism are two very separate uh, kinds of uh, uh, engagement. Uh, But but that really never impressed me, you know, having looked at activism, nature of questions that activists raise, the kinds of risks they took, including personal risks. They have had civil rights activists who have been arrested, who have been bummed off, who have been assassinated. So for me, uh, my work, I never reflected on my work as uh, only for academic purposes. You know, it, it was, I never thought of it. I had always imagined myself as a public intellectual who would make active interventions right uh, from the beginning. Even as I was proceeding uh, in terms of uh, political theory, but my quest always was that how to make these difficult, complex, rather abstract questions that political theory and political thought raise. Uh, something that can push the political discourse uh, in India. And fortunately, uh, Simon, uh, I would say that India has a very robust uh, public sphere, you know, in this sense that uh, uh, really the academia, journalism, and the public activism really bleed into each other in a very positive sense in India. Mm-hmm. So it was not very difficult for me once I began to reflect that, you know, to, to kind of find that right tone, that that kind of a right language, which uh, which doesn't make things too simplified, but doesn't make it too abstract, uh, then I could really see that there was a huge engagement uh, with my work across by activists, uh, by scholars within academia. So I mean, I, I feel that I have made some uh, contribution in terms of breaking those uh, barriers between academia and uh, activists. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's certainly evident when looking at the. The, the public-facing stuff that you've done, aside from your, your more academic work, um, writing as a, as a public intellectual, as you say. So, yeah, that's, that's really interesting to hear. Um, AJ, the, the reason that I, I came across your work was, was because of my own interest in, in sectarianism, which points to um, your wonderful book on secular sectarianism and the, the work that you've been doing on, on that. And this is a, a wonderful area of, of scholarship that, that looks at communal difference in, in slightly different ways. So 
I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about about this phrase secular sectarianism and then we can maybe discuss it in the Indian context a little bit more, please. Yes, I mean, I mean the, the engagement with the concept for the first time, I coined it in uh, 2014, uh, soon after the election of uh, Mr. Narendra Modi coming to power mm-hmm. uh, in 2014. And uh, uh, I started seriously reflecting that, you know, this kind of a sudden surge uh, of a, uh, a kind of a model of populist authoritarianism, majoritarian cultural nationalism, uh, simply taking a kind of a sweep uh, really needed new kinds of explanation. You know, it couldn't have been explained to old frames uh, of uh, politics of accommodation, centrism, things of that kind that Indian political scientists generally use. That's where I discovered that uh, the current rise of populist authoritarianism has something very deeply to do with their mobilization strategies, have uh, something very deeply to do with uh, the sectarian kind of uh, uh, mobilization within progressive left democratic circles, which broadly uh, refer to themselves in terms of their self-representation as being secular uh, forces in India. And that's when I began to kind of interrogate as to what does this secularism actually mean? And that's when I thought that uh, the the nature of secularism in India, uh, it's not secularism, as you know here, uh, doesn't simply refer to separation of state and religion, but it included a whole range of other groups like Dalit, Bhaujan mobilization, women, we had debates on Hindu code bills. So the, the debate on secularism in India is fairly, fairly, as you know, Simon, is fairly complex. So that's when I thought that the practice of secularism and what went into that rubric of a secularism uh, has actually ended up in terms of socially ghettoizing groups, for instance, between Dalits, OBCs, a gender question, minority question, and uh, left politics. These were my four or five broad groups that I took, and uh, I tried to argue that uh, it is actually this internal secular sectarianism of these groups that was passed off as secular politics that uh, could squarely kind of explain uh, the popularity of uh, uh, populist authoritarianism and as to why now uh, there is a sudden resurgence and appeal of this kind of a monolithic uh, imagination. And I thought that this social fragmentation, which I called secular sectarianism, has something very deeply to do with that. That's that's really fascinating. Um, for, For people who aren't as familiar as, as, as you are with the Indian context, I think it's worth with stressing that there is this this real intersectionality at play between uh, a whole host of different identity groups from from gender to class to caste, um, ethnicity, language, faith, um, and and all manner of others that that come out in your in your work um, in, in the emergence of this this difference post twenty fourteen as you say. So why is it that? that sectarianism was the concept that you thought was was useful to, to try and explain what was happening under the BJP? Well, that's a good uh, question, Simon. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you looked uh, closely at uh, BJP's uh, mobilizational strategies, uh, they were doing two things simultaneously. That they were further deepening these uh, social conflicts between, let's say, Dalits and backward classes, uh, between Dalits, backward classes and Muslims, uh, you could see a series of uh, you know, what I call low-intensity kind of uh, uh, polarization that was happening. They were deepening the social prejudices between these uh, social groups. 
so as the social fragmentation between them grew you know ideally we thought earlier scholarship in political science in, in india would have argued that uh, caste differences were kind of a natural check on confessional majority majoritarian politics in india and therefore mm-hmm. we thought that you know uh, backward class for instance implementation of backward class reservations was a kind of a secular upsurge but something different and something very fascinating but disturbing politically very disturbing was happening is that more the social fragmentation more the tension between what i call the intra subaltern conflict proliferation of intra subaltern conflict since the bjp has taken over in 2014 what in in an obvious way leading to further demand further justification of a, a monolithic order of a, of identifying the authentic hindu population so it was not that the social fragmentation and social sectarianism was blocking a monolithic order but sectarianism was squarely the uh, uh, the social ground on which uh, the uh, monolithic imagination was going for instance you could have be, you could be a dalit for the purposes of gaining representation but you can be an authentic hindu for the purpose of getting recognition so i think sectarianism and uh, authentic monolithic order they're actually reinforcing each other so which is quite contrary to the most of the binary kind of a thinking that you know secular uh, philosophy secular theories uh, offered in the indian context mm. and so i guess what you're what you're working through when you're talking about sectarianism there are the lines of inclusion and exclusion that are malleable and 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 come out of, of self identification but also can be can be imposed upon you is that is that fair to say that 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 uh, that's a point that one is still not uh, clear simon that you know we have a process where the current regime is ideologically uh, being called out for being anti not only anti muslim but also deeply anti dalit mm-hmm. but repeatedly including the recent election in uttar pradesh you find that a large chunk of dalit and backward caste vote has made a durable shift Uh, towards the right you know i did this piece in 2014 uh, right word shift of dalit politics for which lot of my uh, dalit bahujan uh, friends uh, you know offered a lot of public rejoinders uh, around that piece saying that there is no such shift but now many of them have come around and they have been using uh, what have been cited that there is a kind of a durable shift so this is something very 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 you know complex uh, and a difficult thing to explain that how do you explain that Uh, people are moving social groups that are uh, otherwise thought to be the target of this regime uh, are, are are fairly politically behind them so this is something that uh, you know is it is it something that is imposed is it a social hegemony uh, is it uh, therefore the question that i raised was that is this sectarianism therefore uh, not merely kind of an uh, externally imposed mm-hmm. sectarianism but it is something to do with the Uh, grade and inequalities that uh, Dr. Ambedkar referred to. That is it something inherent uh, to that process that uh, BJP is able to so easily mobilize uh, both things so that you can uh, offer them political representation, but you can also socially uh, assimilate them in terms of a, a larger Hindu identity. It's it's so rich philosophically and so challenging and distressing politically. that there's there's a great deal to to really reflect on here. Um I wonder if you can um just offer a bit more of an overview of of what the the collection secular sectarianism does please AJ. 
I realize this is bringing together a lot of different essays from different scholars, but maybe you can just briefly outline some of the, the key questions that the book is asking, please, and then people can, can go out and get hold of a copy of it. Yeah, sure, Simon. So this was a, a collection of essays that flew out of a conference that we had in JNU. Uh, these are uh, no, uh, young set of scholars uh, who are uh, open-minded and uh, with whom I was in touch and had uh, repeated interactions for a very long time. Uh, and uh, they were willing to kind of rethink some of the uh, you know, conventional uh, concepts, conventional categories in Indian political theory, political thought, and Indian politics. So this, this book has three uh, broad sections apart from my uh, longish introduction and then afterwards, uh, that I did, which is a which is kind of a republication of an earlier essay essay I did on politics of uh, uh, secular sectors that was published in the EPW. Uh, the three sections. The first section focuses on caste and gender. Uh, there's an essay by a young scholar uh, Surat Malik on uh, the conflict between tribals and uh, Dalits in uh, in Orissa. Uh, that uh, these two constant groups, how uh, tribals uh, also think that Dalits. Uh, there is a practice of even untouchability in certain sections. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, it gives a very close ethnographic conflict, uh, you know, ethnographic account of uh, uh, social and everyday practices of tribal and Dalits and modes of exclusion, modes of prejudice that they practice mutually. So that that really sets the tone for the first part of the first section. On there's a then on gender that looks at sub panchayat and uh, practice of what goes in in terms of how certain uh, hierarchical, uh, socially exclusionary practices have been justified as cultural practices. Uh, as you know, India has had a very long debate on this, and uh, and that's also the point, Simon, where I'm critical of the post-colonial uh, interventions in India, where uh, many of the socially uh, hierarchical discriminatory practices uh, in terms of their language of you know, uh, against imperialism of categories, uh, in terms of protecting a non-Western uh, epistemic uh, frame, a uh, lot of this has been converted and understood merely in terms of neutralized cultural practices, mm -hmm. uh, which in a sense I'm now arguing is what is coming back to us, that it is that, that the wheel has turned uh, full circle where you know now it is the hegemon who is calling all the discriminatory practices merely uh, for, uh, wanting to be recognized as cultural practices. The second uh, section of the book uh, looks at uh, exclusively at the, at the religious question and the uh, with a special focus on, of course, on the uh, religious minorities and Muslims in India. Uh, there are about three essays by three very dynamic uh, young scholars who have uh, looked at various issues of sectarianism, uh, 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 how to frame the question of sectarianism within minority politics. Therefore, they argue that there is no homogeneous Muslim uh, category, though minority politics would, would want us to believe that there is something of that kind. For instance, one very fine essay on uh, by Afroz Alam on uh, Pasmanda Muslims, uh, in fact, makes an argument that the lower end, lower caste Muslims might actually want uniform civil code. That, you know, that what, you know, secular, uh, uh, secular uh, left, would actually kind of uh, thrown upon and would actually kind of uh, uh, no object to. Uh, he showed this contrast as to why uh, lower caste uh, Muslims might want a uniform civil code because to protect their own 
marriages, inter-caste marriages within the uh, Muslim community. Then you have essays which uh, which have called for uh, Dalit Muslim unity as the alternative to come out of this uh, imposed kind of uh, uh, kind of a monolithic order and to kind of address the possible uh, religious uh, sectarianism within uh, minority politics. Uh, I, I, we also have an essay on the question of Kashmiri Pandit. Uh, There's a very fine essay which trace, traces uh, the uh, exodus of the pandits from Kashmir in 1990, uh, the shift from Sufism to Salafism uh, in Kashmir, uh, growing uh, uh, tendency of uh, sectarianism within the middle class Muslims uh, uh, in Kashmir, and how the Kashmiri uh, 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 struggle for self-determination has this very dark uh, underside, and therefore we'll have to really see, uh, unpack this. All these progressive categories of secularism, self-determination, uh, have this underbelly. And the last section of the book uh, looked at left uh, parties and left politics in India as to why we would also want to club uh, many of the left. Uh, oriented uh, political practices, uh, uh, we mark them as sectarian, that how they fail to kind of bring uh, many of the internal social, for instance, between gender rights and Muslim rights, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, left doesn't really have a way of moving beyond. You know? uh, similarly, uh, says they look at uh, uh, the left decline of left in Bengal, that uh, there is what kind of a state governmental practices, they, you know, state craft that they practice uh, uh, and things of that kind, that kind of welfare policy. It goes into many, many of these things, but third section is broadly about uh, left politics and why we think left is also uh, uh, directly or indirectly contributing to a kind of a social uh, sectarian uh, politics. Thanks for that. I think that's that's really helpful and a really useful overview of, of, of what the book does. And one of the things I, I love most about the book is the the broader contributions that it makes in highlighting the intersectionality of questions of, of sectarianism. That it's not just about mobilization, it's not just about the, the roots of grievance, but the various chapters as you've just highlighted point to the, the complexity of, of um, sectarian questions within quote-unquote left-leaning movements, within geographic spaces, within questions of gender, and the, the multifaceted nature of these issues that are often overlooked in, in the study of sectarianism in, in the Middle East, for example. So that's one of the, the main reasons why I think it's such a fabulous book and why I think your work is, is so very important, AJ, even if it's, if it's beyond the, the geographical reach of, of many of our listeners. I think it's hugely important. Yeah, I think that you're right, Simon, in terms of the fact that you know we can no longer afford to frame uh, questions of even uh, religious uh, sectarianism, as you said, I mean, your specialization is in the Middle East and the questions of sect. I think these are now heavily overlaid in terms of what is happening, you know, uh, in terms of these interactions, not only in terms of, uh, you know, interactions between gender and caste, but also what is happening internal to these uh, categories. Yeah, exactly. You know, much of what, how Dalits are responding to the gender question, so the backward caste Muslim question I have argued in some of my recent essays that has a lot to do with the internal that they, the, that they, they simply cannot come to terms with the fact that the higher end uh, Dalit groups 
are simply in no mood to accommodate the genuine legitimate democratic demands of the smaller uh, you know, Dalit uh, sub-caste. Sub, uh, sub and which are the groups that uh, uh, BJP is very successfully mobilizing today? Fascinating and really, really important. And I'm sure many of our listeners are, are reflecting and drawing parallels with some of their own uh, empirical analysis in, in different parts of the world. But AJ, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really fascinating hearing you reflect on, on these things. Um, I've learned a lot despite having gone through your book several times and really enjoyed it. And I'm sure many others have as well. So a huge thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thanks to you, Simon, too, for having me over. Looking forward to being in touch. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. A huge thanks to AJ for his time just now. He's not on Twitter, so you can't find him there, but you can follow his work in all the other usual places. Do check out his wonderful book, Secular Sectarianism, along with his other essays that have appeared in a range of different outlets, from the academic to the more... Uh, news-oriented, let's say. I think there's a great deal to be learned from, from reflecting on questions of sectarianism in different contexts, and I've learned a lot from engaging with AJ. As always, thank you so much for listening, for your time. Please do take care. Until next time. <laughs>